Hi, and thanks for joining me. I'm Lisa, half of the dynamic duo of Julie and Lisa, who bring you our regular podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Welcome to our Speakers Series Podcast Edition, and today we welcome Slim from Florida. Good morning, everybody. My name is Slim. I am an alcoholic. Um, Of course, Slim is a nickname. Uh, My given name is William McCann, and I'm not hiding from nobody. Uh, Slim is not a Zoom handle. It's childhood nickname I've had long before I started drinking and became what I became. Uh, I am an alcoholic, right? It's probably the most important thing I have to say every day. You know, I have to concede to my innermost self, surrender every morning to that fact. Um, grateful to be here in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I would usually be in a live meeting right now at 7, 8 a.m., 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm always in a live home groups. Um, I start my mornings every day with meetings. And they set the tone for my day. Uh, I'm the type of person, if I don't start this thing first thing in the morning, you know, upon awakening, as I'm told, I can run amok. And um, for me, it's been a good formula. Okay, a little bit about myself. First of all, grateful, so grateful to be here, to be a service to Alcoholics Anonymous program that saved my life. Sober on a Sunday morning is a miracle. You know, I would still be drunk from last night um, or already sitting in a bar because they open at 7 a.m. And uh, many a Sunday, I don't remember, right? Grateful to wake up in my own bed, wake up sober, and and to be allowed to carry a message. Um, I wasn't asked to do a lot of things before Alcoholics Anonymous. I was told things like, don't call or come around here. You know, we, we don't need to see you anymore just leave, (laughs) you know, these things, right? Not asked, told. Um, Thank you all for having me. Good morning again. My name is Slim. I am an alcoholic. I can't say it enough. Um, A great reminder to hear it out loud. Be honest with myself and all of you about that. I grew up in Chicago. um, Child of an alcoholic father. And also a child of divorce. Um, So I might be one of those people you could say had issues before I started drinking. Right. Um, I always had friends. But still always felt alone. There were always kids in my house because my mother was a neighborhood school teacher. She tutored everyone. She was always into my baseball. She was always into my sister's cheerleading. I grew up with a lot of love from her. I grew up with values, right? I knew right from wrong. Somewhere along the line, I I lost that. Um, You know, we had never really needed for anything. We didn't have much, but we always had. But yet for me... I'm that alcoholic. I always wanted more. Um, 
you know, if things were good, I needed them to be better. If I had enough of something, I always wanted them more. And I had a false sense of entitlement to these things, right? I was never quite happy, never quite satisfied, always felt a little less than or out of it. And, you know, there was a hole in me from the beginning, I guess you could say. Certainly, as a teen, you know, a preteen and a teen. Now, when I say I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic for a lot of reasons. But the most important reason is when I start, when I take a drink, I can't stop, right? When I take a drink, I don't have a shutoff valve. When I take a drink, I don't know what's going to happen, where it's going to take me. And I have a million excuses for why I drink. It was always them. It was always if only, right? If I only had this, if I only had. Slim, can you unmute? Am I really? Have I been unmuted the whole time? No, you just got muted for a sec. Oh, okay. Oh, good. <laughs> Excuse me. That's funny. Sorry, um, buddy. That that's quite all right. I just kind of thought to myself, "Not a good lot, y'all." Okay, so uh, when I was thirteen, um, my mother was diagnosed with cervical cancer, and I mentioned before mentioned my alcoholic father chose to call me and tell me that it was time to grow up that I needed to get a job and be the man of the house because he wasn't going to be around anymore and my mother was dying. And he hung up the phone. Now this is the old phone that hangs on the wall, right, with the roller dial, no caller ID, no idea where he's at or what's going on. And at the time, my sister and grandparents were at the hospital with my mother. It's safe to say I freaked out. Right. And um, when my grandparents and sister came home from the hospital. I demanded to know what was wrong with my mother. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, then why did my father just call and say this? And my grandmother turned white as a sheet. And she said, oh, my God, he said that. And I said, I knew something was wrong. So right then and there, my life changed. Right. The trust issues. I can't even trust my own family. You know, my father's leaving. I don't even know what that's all about. And I was filled with resentment, you know. Come to find, you know, at the time I just thought I was angry. But I started to drink over resentments because from that day forward, I didn't trust anyone. I didn't believe in anything. And when I was 14, I took my first drink. And all of that went away, right? Now, I had the ism from the beginning. That incredible short memory, my first drink. We were 14, taken to a party. Not like a keg party or anything like that. Taken to a girl's house out in the suburbs of South Holland. And her father had a full bar 
in the basement with all the bells and whistles too. There's a ping pong table, a pool table, a pinball machine, you know, the, the classic the classic man cave kind of party basement. All these things I never grew up with, never had. You know? So we started to nip the bottles, right? Little shot out of this one, little shot out of that one. No one'll notice. Apparently my friend stopped drinking, but I didn't. And when my friend Ed Reardon's dad picked us up, and he was a sergeant in the police department, and he had this big bellowing voice, and all I heard was, don't even think about throwing up in my van, kid. And that's the last I remembered of that ride home. I don't believe I threw up in his van because I'm passed out. And then when we got home, I was rolled out of that van. And the next morning, say, afternoon, when I woke up to my mother and two of her teacher friends sitting down at the kitchen table, and I came crawling down the stairs, and they were laughing. Oh, big man, want to be all grown up, huh? How you feel, <laughs> right? And I'm green. And I'm throwing up every 30 seconds, you know, and I had that yellow bile, right? I probably had alcohol poisoning. Man, I'm glad we're doing it again. I don't believe it. Blah, blah, you know, right? And the next day I felt better and I couldn't wait to get to my first keg party that weekend. So I just may have been an alcoholic right off the bat, right? I loved it. It made me feel different. It certainly made me feel different. And I didn't have to think about being too short or not being smart enough or I can't talk to people. I just fit in. Right? It was a chameleon from day one. I can get along with anybody when it came to the party. And I thought it was just what teenage kids did. Right? I couldn't understand why my mother would get so mad at me. Um, you know, 15, 16, 18. That's what kids do. But she knew because she watched it in my father. And she could probably see it in me. But I wasn't listening. I wasn't having that. You know, um, I'll get to a Back to her a little later, um, because it has a lot to do with my drinking. But the point is, I always kind of did what I wanted when I wanted when it came to booze, because it was the only thing that really made me feel like I fit in. The only time I kind of enjoyed myself or my life made me forget about all these other things. See, I always felt different when my friends had two parents. My friends' dads were everywhere and participating in their lives, right? And I was fueled by that anger and that resentment. And also, too, that brings it to God, right? I had turned my back on God. Why this? Why me? Right? The victim. I was so the victim when I got here. I want to mention right now to anyone who's new, victims don't recover. You know, when I became the problem... I was able to get in the solution. I ran the town with all the morals of a stray dog, doing what I wanted when I wanted. 
right? Life run on self-will. Completely run riot. I didn't want to hear your rules. I didn't want to obey your laws. You know, if you told me something, you weren't my father. When my mother finally passed away, I didn't want to listen to anybody. See, I was raised by wolves because I raised myself. And I can safely say today that that was wrong, right? When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought I knew everything. I didn't know nothing. When I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was right. You couldn't tell me anything. So safe to say I struggled, right? Because I was doing this thing my way. I didn't want your suggestions. I asked for them. <laughs> help. Please help me. And then when you would tell me to do things, I'd be like, eh, maybe you, but, right? I'm not a one-chip wonder. I have a few white chips for that reason. I couldn't listen. I couldn't follow direction. I thought I was going to figure this thing out. Save yourself a lot of time, folks. And don't do that. Try not to do that. I can't tell you what to do. I can tell you what I did, and I made myself miserable. I became suicidal in Alcoholics Anonymous after a third slip because after six and a half months sober, I thought I got this, right? <laughs> Miss those things like cunning, baffling, powerful, and continuous process. Okay, so I fought doing the steps, right? When I came to you, I was completely broken. I walked into my first meeting on a morning after yet another three-day bender, right? I don't know if it's 7 o'clock in the morning or if it's 7 o'clock at night. I just know that I'm a disgrace. <laughs> Did it again. And I went to the bathroom, and I looked at myself, and I was unshaven, you know what I mean? Had my clothes on from last night because I just passed out. And I put some shaving cream on my face. And I was thinking, Jesus, mess you did it again. And I just spit in my mirror, cussing myself out. That was old. This time I just spit right in my own face, right in my mirror. But fortunately for me, I had some shaving cream on my face. So I actually wiped it off. Who knows how long it would have sat there otherwise, right? And as I was saying to myself, boy, you really screwed up, man, and you just a mess. And I heard his voice say, what are you going to do about it? Right? And I actually called a friend. Mind you, this friend was my boss at the time, a manager in the bar I worked at, who was planting the seed, who had offered to take me to a meeting who had sat me down countless times about my drinking to the point where I was getting suspended. Of course, right? Trouble at work, trouble at home. I had it all. And I, in return, cussed him up and down. You're picking on me. Why are you messing with me? I don't need that damn program. I don't drink like you. You're, my doctor didn't tell me to stop drinking like yours. Get off my back. You know, my doctor probably would have had I had one. Because I was full-fledged alcoholic. And he could see it. And everyone around me could see it. But I didn't want to see it. And I certainly wouldn't admit it. 
right? I could have came to Alcoholics Anonymous long before I did. I mentioned getting suspended from work. You know, those were the things that were happening and had been fired before or quit because you weren't treating me right. I'll find something different. Classic alcoholic behavior. And, um, you know, in that same period of time, I went to work one night and when I came home, all of my stuff was here. But all of hers was gone. Right? She had finally packed up and left. And again, how could she do this to me? How didn't she do it earlier? Right? How did she put up with me for so long? All the lies. I'll be back in an hour. I'm home two days later. Just going to have one with the guys. Right? Tears start rolling down her cheeks. And I tell her, what's wrong with you? You're so emotional. And she knows I'm not coming home. I believe I'm coming home. I mean that when I say that. But again, alcoholic. I start, I don't stop. I start, I don't know where it's going to take me or what's going to happen. Right? Yet I do it again anyway, over and over and over. I tried many times, right? I was on the water wagon a thousand times, but I could never stay stopped. With this beautiful program, the design for living, that's just 12-step spiritual in nature. Getting in touch with a higher power. Having a God back in my life. I can stay stopped. Not only that, I can live sober. See, this is more about just putting the drink down. I'm learning how to live here. And today I can safely say I have a good little life. So, back to my mother. You know, chemotherapy worked, right? But then she did get cancer a second time. And at this time, my parents have been divorced for a few years. I graduate high school. I get a job roofing right out of high school. Union job. Good job. Found it myself because my uncle had plans for me and my grandparents wanted me to go to college and all that. But I was going to do what I was going to do, right? Yeah, alcoholic. But I had a great job, you know, but I wanted to be like the big boys, right? I was by far the youngest person on the roof. In fact, the fall of my first year, I told the guys, it's my birthday today. They said, oh, great. We'll take you out to the bar tonight. I said, I just turned 18. I said, 18? You weren't even supposed to be up here the last five months. I said, nobody asked. Nobody said anything about it, right? I've been working for six months at 17 years old. I wasn't even supposed to be on the roof. But I wanted to be like one of the guys, right? I wanted to fit in. So when they got beers and drinks afterwards and drove home in the trucks, I drank with them, you know, and wanted to be all grown up. And I had no problem doing the drink, and I loved it, you know. Fortunately for, unfortunately for me, I wasn't a puker or a pisser, you know. Maybe those things might have brought me to... To the fact that, you know, I had a problem a little sooner. You know, but I could always handle the booze. At the end of my drinking, I didn't have hangovers because I just stayed drunk, right? I woke up in the morning, the end of my drink, and I walked right to my freezer. 
I had opened up a bottle, whatever was in there, Rumpel Mints, vodka, family, you name it, you know, mostly vodka. And I drink it right out of the bottle. Because let's face it, why dirty a glass? I'm not washing dishes that day. When I start drinking, nothing else gets done. When I start drinking, you know, it tells me who I'm hanging out with. Am I going to eat that day? Am I going to work and what kind of shape might I even be in when there? And I believe me, I always went to work because everything I needed was there. You know, bartender, bar back for 26 years. The party awaits, right? Told myself I was there and the money was good, but I wasn't there for the money. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I was there because it was everything I ever wanted and needed, right? Seedy people. Seedy things and all the booze and outside issues available to me. And I do have other issues, right? Because if I could take something and drink longer the way I want to, oh, yeah, sign me up for that too, right? But I am an alcoholic. Problem is any other thing I do, I do alcoholically as well. See, I always, I always want more and the most of it and, you know, what it, whatever works just to get me out of my head just to stop the clamor, just to make me feel comfortable in my own skin, because I never was. So I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and the buddy I called to meet me at the meeting, he said he would, of course, but he was dropping off his daughter at school and had something else to do that morning. So I get to the clubhouse in 10 minutes, and of course, I look around, and he's not there, and Right? Because everyone should drop everything in their entire world for me. Right? Selfish and self-centered to the core, boy. I loved my, I hated myself, but I was all I think about. Right? Um, The man at the coffee counter, he said, meeting just started outside in the garden. You want me to take you out there? Because he knew, he jumped in the way. Because he knew when I looked around, he saw that face, that panic. I was going to turn around and walk out, probably never come back. And he took me to my first meeting. The meeting had already started. Of course, I walked right out in there. Oh, no, oh, no. And they're like, okay, have a seat. Talk to you after the meeting. I didn't realize that people were raising their hands. So every time someone looked in my direction, I'd start again. I was there. And they're like, hey, we'll talk to you after the meeting, right? Didn't ask me to leave. Said, hey. I'll be with you in a minute, right? I interrupted that meeting three times. At the end of that meeting, four guys approached me. And here's me. Oh, great. They're going to pick me up, throw me right over the fence. And they all said, welcome. We're so glad you're here. You're going to be okay. You're in the right place. And they gave me phone numbers that said, call me. Everyone else in my life didn't want nothing to do with me at this point, right? People, are, I've pushed everybody out of my life. I always said they abandoned me, but I was pushing them out of my life. But that's Alcoholics Anonymous. I was a basket case, stone cold crazy, still half cocked. But they welcomed me and they told me I was going to be okay. And I told them, no, no, you don't understand, right? The way I drink her, like, <laughs> you just, you keep coming, you're in the right place. 
no, no, maybe you should commit me. And they're like, you're going to be okay. See you tomorrow. I mean, they held me there. Believe me, they took me to a second meeting that day. They didn't want to just let me go, right? They they cared. Nobody else cared at that moment. And how could they? I didn't care about myself, right? But Alcoholics Anonymous did. And that's why I do things like this whenever asked. That's why I'm in a meeting every day. That's why I talk to newcomers and welcome them. You know, whatever I can do for Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I can never do enough. And they told me things like get a sponsor. And that, you know, call me when I gave you my phone number. I give you, you still got that phone number I gave you, kid? Yeah, I got it. See, ever think of using the damn thing? I didn't give you my number not to call me. They said, you might just be helping me. Ever think about that? Of course, I didn't think about that. It's only thing about myself. And there I am. They're telling me, trying to teach me this program, and I'm doing the steps by myself and off the wall, right? And believe me, that's exactly where I was off the wall and by myself because <laughs> I wouldn't listen. I'm deciding what I'm going to do. Nope, not going to do that. No, nope, not going to do that. Oh, I'm not even thinking about going there. Right? Wasn't the God aspect that had me, you know, but telling somebody about myself, I never shared anything before this program. And that was my problem. I kept it all bottled in. Right? I ate everything. You'd never know anything about me unless I wanted to lie to you and make it look good, tell you some kind of story. Right? Chameleon. How do I look on the outside? But on the inside, I'm dying. A mannequin, completely hollow, broken, empty, right? Dress me up outside, I look okay, but I'm empty. And I don't know how to tell you that. I can't tell you that. My pride and my ego will kill me. My selfish and self-centeredness will kill me. And they would say things like, how are you doing this morning? And I'd say, fine. So I'd growl at them. They'd say, oh, great, frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Better start talking about it. My sponsor said that a couple of different times. So finally, I say, good. <laughs> I went for growl. And one day, he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm good. He said, well, I'm not. Thanks for asking. Holy shit, I'm that selfish, self-centered they're talking about. Right? She's helping me for a month and a half now, and I never even said Good morning, how are you doing? Denying all these defects of character. Denying that I drink the way you do and think like you do. And they knew. They just kept smiling. They just keep coming. I sat on my hands because I was afraid if my hand went up. <clears throat> I didn't know what was going to come out of my mouth. And the crazy that was up there, that clamor, all that noise. I wasn't going to say anything. They finally said, you're going to see this. You're going to keep it all in? End up blowing your head off? Are you going to start talking to us? Right? They told me, if you don't tell us where you are, we can't meet you where you're at. Right? How do you help someone if they don't even let you know what's going on? 
So if you're here and you're new and you're shy and you know you don't want to say anything, you're afraid of what's going to come out of your mouth, you're not going to shock anybody here. You're not going to offend anybody here. We're here to help. They were there to help. They already knew what I was going through because they had been there. Right? I didn't know that. I'm different. Now, not so much. Just an alcoholic who doesn't know what the hell's going on. Because I feel like I'm completely out of my mind. And what just happened in my life? Right? Because the booze always worked. till it didn't work no more. Problem drinker puts the drink down. Problem solved. Alcoholic puts the drink down. Problems are just beginning. Because all I was left with was me. And I didn't know me. All I knew was getting loaded, right? And ah, uh, this guy who was so smart and going to figure this all out, alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful, he'll always outsmart me. Always did. I was drinking without the power of choice. I had lost the cho power of choice long ago, right? Alcohol owned me. Told me what I was going to eat. What was going to get done that day? Who I was hanging out with? I once told my sponsor, you know, I'm lower in the bar hanging out with these people. He said, oh, you're lower in the bar. Maybe they are hanging out with you. He was right. Was anyone good in my life didn't want nothing to do with me anymore. I was hanging out with the CD bums again, comparing, right? I'm not like him. I'm not like them. I'm not doing this. Alcoholic to me was the guy rolling around under a bridge in a dirty trench coat with a paper bag, right? I still had a job. I still had an apartment. Luckily, that was all going to go away. It's just a matter of time. I didn't have any major health issues. Then again, I never went to a doctor who would know, you know. But I was killing myself because I couldn't stop. I drank every day, all day. I drink before work. I drink at work. And I tell myself all day I'm going home that night and I'd be sitting out after work drinking again. Don't know how I got home. Don't know what I said to who. Right? Don't know what I did and didn't care if I did. I always had an excuse. Right? Always had an excuse for my bad behaviors, for my antisocial behaviors, for the I don't give a fuck. I don't swear during, try not to swear when I share, but you know what? Go fuck yourself was a conversation for me. Or the beginning of one with more niceties to come your way. I was savage, feral. Everything I was brought up and raised to be and all that, you know, please, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You know, all that good stuff crossed. All them lines were blurred. It's morally and spiritually bankrupt. Absolutely no doubt about it. So I come here and you teach me. And I'm powerless over alcohol in my life by my own hands. Even today sober is unmanageable. And I need to find a power greater than myself. Right? The first three steps, surrender steps. 
honesty, hope, and faith concepts behind them. I can't, he can, must let him. Right? And I'm trying to argue about this God because, see, God took my mother. God gave me an alcoholic father. I'd grow up with much. Why me? Why me? You know, my mother didn't die till she was 20. I should have been grown up by then. The help of a sponsor and inventory, I know that. I was just a fearful, selfish prick. Uh, you know, I could have applied myself. I could have went to college. I could have went in the Navy. Took an ASVAB. You know, I was a smart kid. I just stopped doing schoolwork. Because the party was more important. I was already trading things, right? In high school, I was a wrestler, baseball player, and football player. By junior year, I didn't do any of those things, right? A pot smoker and a drinker. <laughs> what happened? Did somebody else do that to you? No. I chose. My life has been a series of bad choices. Based on booze. Inventory helps me see that, right? In four and five, I get down to the causes and conditions. My father, as I said, was an alcoholic. So my sponsor says, you think you're in your right mind right now? I'm like, no, nah, I'm out of my mind right now. He said, perhaps your father was when he made that phone call. Hmm? Maybe he couldn't deal with your mother having cancer and he just ran. I was a runner. So I had to see that in a whole different life. That grudge that I had, that 36-year resentment over my father, I see that, I'll kill him. All went away. He did his best. He was a sick man. He didn't leave me. Him and my mom got divorced. That's between adults. You know, things weren't working out. They weren't working out. I'm not in charge of their marriage. You know, maybe he just couldn't handle it and he did his best. My mother, she wasn't a liar, keeping secrets from me. She wanted to tell me herself. He just decided to call first. She didn't know he was going to do that. She had asked my grandparents and my sister not to tell me. I want to tell him himself. Because first it was pneumonia. Then it was, you know, a, a hysterectomy. And of course, it turned into ovarian cancer. So the three weeks in the hospital that she spent weren't supposed to really happen. Things got worse. 13 years old, 13-year-old boy. She's got to tell me and explain that to me herself, right? I don't know anything about that. So they're not liars. These people loved me. They gave me all the love in the world. My resentment against my big sister, you know, the chosen one, as I used to call her. No, she was just older than me, certainly more responsible than me. And my mother gave her instructions to look after your little brother. You're telling me what to do. You're bossy, blah, blah, blah. You think you're better than me? No. She was just in charge because she should have been, right? See, these are all things in four and five I get to learn about and talk about, right? Uncover, discover, and discard. My sponsor, when it came to God on my list, he said, who do you think kept you through all your bullshit? You're out there running around the streets. You don't know what you're doing when you're in a blackout. You know, drug deals, 
running around with people you don't belong with, places you never should have been, you know, fights, all of that other stuff. Came out pretty much unscathed, right? I never went to jail. I never end up bloodied and beaten behind a dumpster. I always made it home. That's God. Was there all along. Taking care of me. Looking after me. When things went well, though, I, I'll hyperextend my elbow, patting myself on the back, right? Look what I did. Yeah, God was always there. It was me that was moving around. So I get in touch with this higher power, working these steps, and I learn how to forgive, working these steps and these grudges I used to have. I can start to see now I'm the problem was the way I saw things and the way I thought they were. All these created anger, that, that resentment that I came up with. Because I only see things one way, my way, right? But with the help of a sponsor and the help of long-term alcoholics with long-term sobriety and people with the spiritual values and in and, and, and a sense can help me see, how about you look at it this way? How about if you just change your wording, right? And all of a sudden, I don't talk like an animal. I don't treat people like they were animals. I walked out of early sobriety. Me and my sponsor walked to the corner to a Circle K. He wanted a snack, and I got a pack of cigarettes, and I walked out of that store. Some guy says, hey, man, I got a smoke. I said, get away from me, you can bum. He stopped dead in his tracks. He said, what did you just say? And I looked at him, I'm like, he said, that's a person. Why has he got to be a bum? He don't know what he's going through. He don't know how he ended up on the street. Right? He's right. I did not know that. But that's what I thought of people. That's how I treated people, right? I just bought a whole pack of cigarettes. I could have given him one. Maybe I could have given him a couple. I got to swear at him, cuss him out, tell him, get away from me, you bum. All he did was ask me for a cigarette. You know, I don't know what people will go through. I never knew that before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, right? We never know what the other people go through. All my prejudging, all my ideas about who's who and what's what. You know, that man might have been a lot more spiritual than me. Because at the time, I wasn't. So I see people differently, you know, because they are people. And I'm far from perfect. Oh, me, Mr. Perfect, always right. Yeah, I was wrong about a lot. Because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I could say I was wrong. I could say I need help. I could say I don't know. You never hear them things out of my, out of my mouth before. Then. Let me tell you about you. I was a great finger pointer. Right? I knew everything. I was the best at everything. And my life was a bonfire. So in six and seven, it's got nothing to do with me except willingness and asking God to take these things away. Right? Because self can't fix self. I can't change myself or I would have a long time ago. I'm always going to have these character defects, but you know, they can lay dormant one day at a time. 
through prayer and a little action. Right? Eight and nine comes around. And my list, you know, was pretty much from step four. And, um, you know, other things needed to be added on too. And when it came to nine, you know, there, 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 I didn't have the choice of yes, no, never. My sponsor said, thank you, Lisa, I got you. Um, you know, these, these people you stay away from, you've done enough. Right. We're not going to approach those people. Other ones, some had letters because they weren't around. You know, obviously my mother and father were passed away. And I want to share something else with you all. <clears throat> my sister had passed away of breast cancer at 44, about 12 years now. The night she fell, the, the night she passed in Palm Beach Gardens. I was at the Miami Dolphins game at Joe Robbie Stadium, an hour south. I didn't know she was dying. I knew she was sick and I knew she had cancer, but it wasn't that bad at the time. You know, it was a quick, sudden thing. There was a major change. I didn't know she was actually dying that day. But had I known, would I have been there? Can't say. Because the booze was calling all the shots. That's as honest as it gets, folks. An hour south. Because I wasn't going to miss that bus trip with all the booze, drugs, and strippers. I can get my hands on. <laughs> That's life. So that ain't me alive. That ain't me alive, right? But I took a four-page letter through a men's process to my sister's gravesite. And I bawled like a baby because I had been in her house about a dozen times since then over the years. And I could never sleep. And I never felt welcome there. And I could always hear her saying, get the hell out of my house. You look shit. <laughs> and my aunt would say, you're crazy. Just come up to bed. I said, I can't. Sleep on the couch. And I'd toss and turn. And after that day, I went to the cemetery. We pull up. And there's a six-foot marble statue there, right? And I'm looking at the words as we're getting closer. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. Where there's hatred, I may bring love. And it's the St. Francis prayer. And I got on my knees and I bawled when I read her that letter. It was soaking wet. And I couldn't stop the tears. I didn't want them to stop. You know, couldn't stop them if I wanted to either. That night I slept in her house. From 9 o'clock at night to 8 o'clock in the morning. That's God and Alcoholics Anonymous. That's healing. That's restitution. That's what this program is. And in 10, 11, and 12, you know, I got to live there every day. For me, they're not maintenance steps. For me, they're not growth steps. They're living steps. Right? Take my own inventory. When I'm wrong, admit it. Pray and meditate. And meditation ain't easy, still for me. I don't sit on a yoga mat. I don't own, you know, sometimes it's on a walk. Sometimes it's on a bike ride. Sometimes I can sit quietly. I never could even sit still before Alcoholics Anonymous. The clamor in my head, the discomfort in my body. Today I'm comfortable in my own skin. Today I have a joy and a peace I've never known. 
you know, and step 12, I sponsor people. I go to meetings. I work a coffee counter. I do service inside and outside of Alcoholics Anonymous because our book tells us to be a maximum service to God and others. doesn't just say help another alcoholic. One alcoholic working with another is the most powerful medicine for a drunk like me. But I go to food pantries and I go to the community kitchen, you know, because for years in this community, I was a taker. I gave nothing back. And I've learned how to live differently and I heard to live immense. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. I sponsor men. I sponsor women. I sponsor alcoholics. Somebody wants help, I'll help. You know, I'm not here to play grab ass. I'm here because it's essential and vital to my life. I can't live without Alcoholics Anonymous. I never could. There was always something missing. Today, with the loving God of my understanding, these 12 steps spiritual in nature, my life is complete. I have enough. I am enough. I do enough. You know, it's a simple program. We just follow the directions. It's all laid out there for me. This book is full of promises, prayers, directions. Just have to do a little work. You know, I don't want to sometimes, believe me. I'll sit in my glass house in the middle of the lake. I don't want to point fingers, and those are miserable days. All I got to do is get off my ass and into action. Put one foot in front of the other. When I don't know what the next right thing is, just do the next thing right. My life is better. If you don't pick up a drink, you can't get drunk. How simple. How absolutely simple. But I never knew how not to pick up that drink, and you taught me that. But more importantly... You taught me how to care. You taught me how to feel. You taught me how to love. You taught me how to be a person. You know? Not a perfect person. Some days it's sloppy and it's messy. But it's not chaos all the time. And you know, sometimes I hurt, but I don't take that out on the entire world and hurt others. That's how I lived before. You know? Pain is inevitable. We got to grow. But suffering is optional. I don't have to sit in my shit. And I certainly don't have to blame you and the whole world for it. I'm the problem right here. And that's beautiful because as long as I'm the problem, you have a solution for me. That's the program right there. Alcoholics Anonymous. If I do have another 30 seconds, I'd like to read something for you. I was told, you know, if you think whatever you think about Alcoholics Anonymous that you might have in a couple of years, right, you'd be selling yourself short, right? Because this program just keeps giving. You ain't seen nothing yet. So I always finish with this last couple paragraphs on 267 from the story he sold himself short. Where derision, contempt, and pity were once shown me, I now enjoy the respect of many people. For once I had casual acquaintances, all of whom were fair weather friends. And I now have a host of friends who accept me for what I am. 
And over my AA years, I made many real, honest, sincere friendships that I shall cherish. I rate it as a modestly successful man. My stock of material goods isn't great, but I have a fortune in friendships, courage, self-assurance, and honest appraisal of my own abilities. Above all, I have gained the greatest thing, according to man, the love and understanding of a gracious God, who has lifted me from the alcoholic scrap heap to a position of trust, where I have been able to reap rich rewards that come from showing me a little love from others and from serving them as I can. Thank you so much for letting me be part of your sobriety today and for 12-stepping me. Slim, we thank you for joining us on Two Sober Chicks and also for joining us at our meeting, AA Solution Seekers, seven days a week, found on online intergroup AA. I'm Lisa. Have a great 24.